0: morning when i was about four years old i went into the closet where i was never supposed to go and i pulled out this wooden box because i just couldn't keep my hands off of it i didn't know what it was but it was my mom's painting set like she was a pretty good painter i took every tube and i squirted it onto the carpet systematically every single one of them when she came around the corner I saw this look on my mom's face I'd never seen. It was somewhere like between hopelessness and despair and I guess I better start cleaning up. That's when I knew what it meant to be a mother. Moms, thank you. You lose your hobbies, you give your time, you love your kids. So thank you for being a mom. We love you. Happy Mother's Day. We're going to be in Philippians chapter 1 verses 3 through 6. If you need a Bible, we have some in the back. We are talking about what it means that we have a story, because everybody does, and how we see that story and how we experience that story radically changes based on the relationship that we have with God. And I love being a pastor, but here's one of the things I don't love, one of the the things that I find almost impossible... Is when I do counseling or even if we're, I'm just chatting with somebody, trying to convince someone of God's work in their life is next to impossible. It's almost like telling someone to look at the sun, right? They'll, they know the sun's out there and the sun does good things and it grows stuff, but like, I'm put your eyes on the sun. Well, don't do that, right? I would never tell them to do that, but it feels like that. They're like, oh yeah, yeah, I see God working, but they almost refuse to believe it, to be convinced of it. It's very difficult for people to walk in it and to partner with it. It just doesn't feel right. God can't see me like this, right? God doesn't work in my life like this. So that is frustrating. Do do you see it? Could could you give a very precise answer of one area that God is really working in your life today? And I don't mean a sin that you need to drop. That's important too. But where is God lovingly working in your life and you've seen it? Like if you didn't know Jesus, this would be very different. One area. Do you know where it is? You want to come up and talk about it? (laughs) You know I'm kidding. Or am I? Hey, it's hard. So where is God working in your life? Where where are you convinced of that? And what does it look like to partner? Last week, we started this book, Philippians, written by the Apostle Paul to a church up in Greece in Macedonia, um, planted by accident as the Spirit of God pushed him that way. And we talked last week about this, your story. What is your story trying to accomplish this one simple task? Why does my life matter? You are living your story, trying to figure that out over and over and over. Why Philippians is good for us is because the one thing that uh, the Apostle Paul knew who had effectively lost his story because he had a life before he met Jesus and his life completely changed. And here he is, the happiest man in Rome, yet he's under lock and chain in jail writing to the church in Philippi. And here's what we can perceive. Paul knows this. He knows that his story is a movement or a stanza wrapped up into God's grand story. And there's no way he can be ripped from God's story. There's no way that he can walk outside of that. He trusts God like that. And so we want to understand our story like that. And, and we learned last week, the start, the start of that is grace. Your story has got to grow out of grace. Out of what God has achieved, what he's accomplished, what he gives you, not you, grows out of outer grace. And it, and it gives us an unshakable peace. So we're going to pick up where we left off from last week. And I want you to think about how you are partnering with God's work in your life right now. What did that look like before you walked in today? As we read the text, think about what that looks like as we walk out of here. All right, so we're going to be in chapter 1 of Philippians, will be verses 3 through 6. This is just the beginning of the letter. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership with in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So good. Deavenly Father, we come before you um, as your people. Our prayer this morning, as we open your word, is that you would give us the grace the blessing, the privilege, the pain of letting your word open us up. Lord, let us understand who we are in you. Let us understand the story that we live. Let us see your work. In the name of Christ, amen. So God is working in your life. This is happening. We want to put our finger on that. But because of God's good work, because of what he is doing, here's what I can tell you about your story. Because we're going to learn a little bit each week about your story. Here's what I can tell you if you're trusting in Christ. Your story is going to end, and it's going to end in this way. It's going to end in glory. What do you mean by that? We'll get there. But if you're trusting in Christ, your story is going to end in a very specific way. Regardless of how it's filled in in the middle, your story ends ends in glory. So how can we walk through this today? Well, we're just going to let the text walk us through it in this way. First, if this is going to be true of you, you need to put your focus on God's work. First, you've got to see it. Not only that, not just by periphery, you've got to focus on it. Secondly, you need to be convinced of God's good work. It's one thing to know the sun shines. It's another thing to understand that the sun is the life giver. Same way with God. It's one thing to be focused on God's work, but you yourself need to be convinced of God's work for you and what he's doing and why he's doing it. And lastly, to understand this, you need to partner with it. This is what Paul wants for the Philippian church and for us, that we would understand our story so much so wrapped up into the story of God, that we would have confidence that fear would be something that fades away, that we would understand what it means to walk in faith and, and to show up in life, right? This is what God wants for us, to partner with his good work. So first, um, because of God's good work, your story, my story in Christ ends in glory, Let's get there. First, focus on God's good work. So what do we mean by focus? Well, many of you have phones, right? Everybody have a phone. And I don't know what other phones do, but I know an iPhone has a portrait mode. Why is the iPhone portrait mode cool? Well, one is because Apple's ingenious and they make you want something you never wanted, right? So they show you a commercial and say, I've got to have that. I'm that shallow. I'll do that. But what does it do? It gives you this depth of field. So when you push it to portrait mode and you move up on somebody and you take their picture, what happens is... Uh, I think there's two lenses, and the first lens is on the person, and the second lens gives you this huge depth feeling, so everything else is blurry except for the object. That's why it's awesome for portraits. Why? Because that contrast of blurry and depth of field contrasted with this very sharp, close object puts... The glory on that object. This is what we're talking about when we're talking about focusing on God's good work in your life. So that the rest of what's going on becomes almost just field of depth issues. Periphery. Things that are that are there. We know they're there. And they might even be important. But they're blurry concerned with how God's work is going in my life. So verse 3. Here we go. I thank my God for all remembrance of you. Right? He thanks God for the remembrance of the Philippians. Let me read you another version of this. Anybody ever read the Message Bible? It's a very simple Bible that's met. It's not word for word. It's not something that's good for study, but it's good, right? Sometimes when we're reading words in one translation, the Message Bible will help clarify that. Let me just read to you what the message says. Verse 3. Every time you cross my mind, I break out in explanations of thanks to God. Each exclamation is a trigger to prayer. I find myself praying for you with a glad heart. I think that's so good. That's basically what Paul's saying. Hey, Philippian church, right off the bat, I can't even pray about you without being triggered. And this is how I'm triggered. I'm triggered to praise God and to worship him because of the God's work in you. When I see that and I think about it, I can't get over it. This is what happens when Paul prays for them. He's so overwhelmed by God's good work in this church and there's problems. He has to be interrupted and he praises God. He just gushes, right? And this is the, this is how he opens his letters but this is, well, not all letters. Sometimes he gets right to it. For the Galatian church, there was issues. They were leaving the gospel. He's like, all right, I'm the apostle. Listen to what I have to say. This one, he just gushes on them. I see what God's doing in your life. And when I see it, it makes me worship. Right? So what is God's good work? Let's get there. Do you remember last week uh, we talked about Lydia? When the Apostle Paul was up in Philippi, there's no synagogue. So he and Silas were looking for where where people were gathering. And he found um, some women by the river that were praying. One of them was Lydia. And Acts chapter 16 verse 14 says, The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized and her whole household as well, she urged us saying... If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So God's good work is nothing less than what we see happening in Lydia's life as she hears about the gospel. The Lord opens her heart that she might understand and give attention to who Jesus is. Not just in history or not just that he's the Messiah. She receives him as Lord. He moves into position in her heart as the one that she loves. She enters into relationship by grace through faith. Side note, when God cracks that door open, friend, you got to bust through it. She's aggressive. I can tell by what she does, right? the type of person she is. I don't care if you're aggressive or not. When God opens that door, you have got to aggressively walk through it. Do not tease yourself and trick yourself in saying, well, I just don't have that kind of illumination from God. You have got to respond on the truth God has given you or you don't get anymore. She responds in faith. This is God's good work. He opens her heart. And oh, by the way, who is she? She's a woman of means. She's wealthy. We know that she was a a vendor of purple goods. Uh, In the empire in Thyatira, they have this this purple dye, and it was famous, and she was in on that action. She bought it. She sold it. She had an entourage. She had influence. Maybe she had privilege. We don't know about that. But when God takes her, when God opens her heart, the first thing she does is opens her home. She's not going to use this for God. When you see that, she uses her influence and her privilege to bless his people for worship. This happens. This is this is God's good work at any level, right? So we just we worship God for that. So that's what God's good work is. That we might our heart is being opened to who Jesus is. Um, So what is glory? So if our story ends in glory, what is that? Anybody want to know? I can't tell you. I can tell you about it. Um, it's that nagging suspicion that you've walked in here with today that there's got to be something more. It's that nagging suspicion that there's got to be more to life. There's got to be some greater purpose and you find yourself trying to wrap your story around that greater purpose. For some of us, it's alcohol. For some, it's sex. For some, it's money. For some, it's just being a good person. For some of us, our kids. We try to find something transcendent, something glorious to wrap our story around that it might drag us along and that we might have some taste of glory as we live our lives out. That's what glory is. What is glory as far as God's concerned? It's you living in your full final purpose. In fact, his full and final purpose for you, to him, that is glorious. And that happens as you see him, as you know him, as you trust him, as you see his character is beautiful, as you start to submit your life to him, then you see ever-expanding concentric circles of glory, worship. It's not just fixing what's wrong in your life. That's just not glorious enough. It's you living in his purpose fully for your life. It's a new life. It's what Jesus died and rose for. It's a new life, right? So where do we see glory? Well, um, we see it in a lot of places. Maybe it's at a concert. Maybe it's when your team wins. um, But here's where you need to see it. Look at the sun, right? Glory is witnessed in the resurrection. If you want to know what glory looks like, if you want to know the full love and mercy And justice and power of God looks like you're seeing it in the resurrection. This is the full vision of what glory is. And this isn't just a resurrection. This is the resurrection of God the Son for you. Not in general, for you. right? Public display of glory. So in Christ, we're getting there. This is where your story ends. Glory. If you've ever wondered what the future holds for you. Well, we just read 1 John a couple months ago. Let me read you 1 John verse 3, chapter 3 rather. Beloved, this is to the church. We are God's children now. You believe that? Okay. And what we will be, oh there's a future, has not yet appeared. But we know that when he, that's Jesus, appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. This is your hope. This is where human thriving happens. This is your future. When Jesus returns, you will see him for who he is and you will be like him. Your eternal existence is physical. It's not some disembodied floating in the clouds. Jesus made you this way. He likes it. Right? So, in Christ, this is where we're going. This underpins everything that Paul's holding on to. If you don't understand this... You're going to try to find glory in a thousand different ways in your life. If you don't understand your story ends in glory very specifically like this, in a new heaven, a new earth, with a glorified body, by the way, if we're looking at doctrine, this is called glorification, then you will try to find glory in a thousand different ways. But you've got to hold on to God's good work in your life because this is where your story is going. Uh, I used to fly for a living, and one of the cool perks, I probably shouldn't say this out loud, but one of the cool perks of being a pilot is that you get to fly for free. Right? Um, it demands a lot of you, but you get to fly for free, so if you like to travel, it's really fun. Uh, it's for all airline employees. So we would use that so much. Um, but here's how that usually goes. You, you get to fly for free if there's an open seat. So if you've ever non-revved or flown standby, this is how it goes for airline employees. About 45 seconds before the plane, pushers are like, hey, they, they yell out five names. And you're like, Connor, party five. I'm like, oh, grab the kids. And off we run. And they don't even give you tickets. They're like, just go. Just go. Just get on a seat. And you're on this plane. And the flight attendants are already mad at you because they've already got everybody seated. And you're like trying to find empty seats. And then you're like in middle seat, you know, 23B. And you're flying to Hawaii. For 11 hours, sitting next to like two football players. It happens all the time. And that literally did happen to me. You know what kind of emotion I have when I'm sitting in seat 23B in the middle between two big dudes? Take a guess gratitude. I'm going to Hawaii. You know what the option is? Sitting on my couch covered in Doritos watching Netflix. I'm going to Hawaii. I don't care that I'm sitting for 10 hours between these two dudes. Your story ends in glory. If you don't understand what that means, if you don't understand what Jesus is doing in you and for you and what your future is, you're going to have a problem with that, with understanding God's work. So focus on God's work. We'll explain how to do that more so. Secondly, you've got to be convinced of it. This is how your story ends. You need right now to be convinced of God's work. Now just see it. So let me ask you this. When's the last time one of your plans and one of your promises, even if it was to yourself, worked out with perfection? When? Anybody? Anybody? Last year? Five years ago? When's the last time that you worked out a plan and made a promise and it worked out well? So well that it was completely wise. You kind of thought through everything. just perfect. Good. Okay. Listen. God finishes what he begins. This is where our confidence goes. I want you to memorize a verse. And you know how awful I am at memorizing verses. When we preach the Sermon on the Mount, it's not funny, I challenge the whole church to memorize The whole thing. I couldn't get through three words of it. I think I have stage fright, or there's another reason. I don't know. Listen, I can do this one. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Did I get it? All right, good. You got to put this in there you got to memorize it. Memorization is not just for kids. This has to go deep in your heart and your soul because so many days you wake up and you look in the mirror and you're like, there just isn't any hope that this is going to end well. You've got to understand this and listen to it. So why is the Apostle Paul sure? And actually that word would be better to say absolutely convinced. He's absolutely convinced that the work he sees in the Philippian church, the work he sees that God sees in this church is executed in your hearts. He will bring it to completion. Well, why is this the Apostle Paul? Because he knows this progress is not dependent on him. The progress of salvation, the progress of becoming more like Jesus, sanctification, it is not dependent on on Paul. It's not dependent on the Philippian church. It's on God's character, not yours. It's on God's promise and plan, not yours. Can you rest in that? It's on God's finished work, not yours. This should give you great confidence that the work that he started in your life will come to absolute completion and you will see progression, although it will be wild as you experience it. Many ups, many downs, But you've got to be convinced of God's good work. This is how He does it. So, can we? How do we do that? How can we be helpful? How can we be helpful as a church to one another, so that we can convince one another of God's good work? Well, here's one way: celebrate gospel progress. That's one of the themes of the book. Can you do that? Well, I guess I don't know. What do you mean? So, let me expand on that. Celebrate gospel progress in your life do not wait to celebrate perfection mm. see there's a lot of you out here i'm gonna put myself in the camp you're absolutely terrified to celebrate god's work in your life because you're afraid he's not going to finish it you're, you're you're not convinced you're not convinced that you belong to god through grace somewhere deep inside there's a sickness And you can't celebrate it. Because you believe that God will only love you well if you're a good person. Maybe one and if you're a good person. And there's another side of the sickness. Honestly, God kind of owes it to me. I am a good person. Right? Um, no, God finishes what he begins, you need to learn to celebrate gospel progress, not perfection, right? Because when you don't celebrate progress, what you do is you prophesy failure. You will do it to yourself. Let me give you an example of that. When I was learning to ride a bike as a little punk kid, I think I was five, and my dad took me out to a park and he didn't give me training wheels, because he's like, training wheels are for sissies, right? That's what my dad said. So I'm like, well, I don't want to be a sissy dad, so don't put them on. And so he takes me out to the park, right? I probably need therapy. I'm sorry about that. He takes me out to the park, and he's like, it's on grass. I'm not going to get hurt. And if I did, so what, right? Kids need to learn. So I'm out there. I'm riding. I'm falling over. I'm scraping my knees. And finally, I kind of get it. And I'm learning how to ride this bike. It was like a five seed banana seat thing with like streamers on the handlebars. So I'm riding this thing. And you know what I find? I'm riding it, but I can't turn. You didn't tell me how to do that. And so I'm headed right out of the park onto the street and smashed into a parked car. Right. So my dad comes over and he's kind of like looking around and laughing. And like, dad crashed. He goes, yes, you did. But you rode that bike to the scene of the wreck. (laughs) Look, look where we started. That's my boy. He rode it to the crash. And like any self-respecting dad, he looked around, looked at little little and was like, let's go. (laughs) I learned so much that day. Oh, dad, I'm so sorry. Hey, if you don't celebrate progress, you're condemning yourself to defeat. If you don't celebrate and are serious about the progress that God has in your life now, yeah, but I'm not where I'm at. Okay, absolutely you're not. God says, be holy for I am holy. And he's not joking. If you don't celebrate what the Lord has done in your life, you'll put yourself in an endless loop of defeat. So how do we do that? Again, let's get really practical. How did Paul do it? He thanked God for all of the Philippian church. I thank God for all of you. And he also encouraged the Philippian church. So let's stop right there. First of all, there's some raggedy people in this church, in the Philippian church, not ours. Just kidding. But really, and he's thanking God, worshiping God for all of them, not for most of them. Again, are you willing to celebrate the progress of the gospel in somebody that you know that you really just are so frustrated with because they know better and they just won't respond to the gospel the way they just won't do it. Can you still celebrate? Can you still thank God for them? And you're supposed to. This is one of the ways that we learn to celebrate the progress of the gospel. We thank God for what we see him doing, no matter where it is. And secondly, we encourage people. We do this both publicly and privately. Now listen, I'm not going to let anybody off the hook today, but some of us are built to see problems. I'm one of them. Like, when I walk into a room, I already see what's wrong with it. I see what's wrong with this organization. I see why this doesn't run right. You know, it's, it's kind of called a prophetic gift. I think they just make it sound better, right? But you see things that are wrong, and you know how they should be, and you can't wait to tell everybody. That's people, God does make that way, right? And there's other type of personalities that are very priestly, and they care about how you feel. And then there's kingly people who are just like, let's just get this done. If you're constantly irritated with everybody in your life and you're constantly critical, it's because you don't understand grace, at least in the way you should. I had a pastor tell me that to my face once. You're terrified that you're saved by your work, aren't you? Um, Break the cycle. Encourage somebody, both publicly and privately. Thank God for somebody, both publicly and privately. And privately, let's try this. Um, I'll tell you how this happened to me this week. I'll do it first, right? Um, I invited somebody to lunch who's kind of a mentor of mine. He was a professor in seminary. He taught me Greek. And he's just a good dude. He's actually younger than me. I'm like, well, that's not a surprise. But, so we went to lunch, you know. And he's like, hey, let's go to this place. And so we went there. And um, his name is Dr. John, and he he's like ordering oh, all this really nice stuff and. And we just had a great time. And he really encouraged me, but he also smacked me. He said some things that didn't make me real happy. So encouraging people just doesn't mean you never say hard things. So let's please don't hear that. That's a good way to help somebody never move in 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 progress. So you know, had some things that weren't so happy, but he's so encouraging to me, right? And he loves to build up pastors and he loves to build up the church. And so I'm just going to put him on blast right now. You're doing it. I know what his heart is. He wants to see the church thrive. And he believe, believes in his heart of hearts. His little role in that is to build up leaders in the church. And he does it, not just on the clock, but off of the clock. And, like, we spent some money that day. And I took him to lunch. He's, like, ordering all these appetizers and stuff. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, and then, like, the check comes. And he's like, don't. And he grabs it. He paid for it. So I'm just like, that's why I worship God. <laughs> I was like, "Thank you, Lord. That was so good." and I didn't know what to pay for. I was blessed, man. I, I'm going to encourage him with an email, and like I just want to put him out there as, as I worship. I did. I worship the Lord because of His actions. So you, you need to learn how to do that. You need to learn how to be convinced of God's good work, and, and a lot of that's going to be starting with how you thank others how you encourage them by showing them the work of God. So let's get to the good stuff. Partner with God's good work, right? So if God's good work in our lives means that our story ends in glory, what about now? How are you partnering with God's good work? Let's look at the text. Verse 5. Let's get very specific on what motivated Paul to praise God in prayer with joy. Verse 5. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. He's very clear. This is why I'm worshiping God. This is why I'm encouraging you. It's your partnership in the gospel from the beginning until now. So what's partnership? This same word in the original text we see translated a few different ways, all good and accurate. One is partnership. One is share. And one is fellowship. Fellowship. Now, fellowship, I wish wasn't in the Bible because it means nothing to us. It's a Christian subculture word. Hey, if I go to see, you know, uh, end game with one of my friends who doesn't believe in Jesus, it's called hanging out. If I go with one of my Christian friends, we call it fellowship. That's not what it means. So quit using it. You've probably never done fellowship. So what is fellowship? Well, let me tell you this. You know who can tell you what fellowship means? A soldier or an athlete. It's shared suffering. Nothing creates a bond deeper than shared suffering. Soldiers know this. They don't go in wanting that. It just happens. Athletes know this. They have a common bond in shared striving and suffering in one mission. And they watch out for each other's back. That is partnership in the gospel. That is actual fellowship. So how did the Philippian church do it? Here's a few ways. One, they had a shared story. Um, They partnered with worship I mean, they partied with Paul in worship. They loved Jesus. They listened to Paul, right? Lydia, she responded to the gospel. Right? They, they loved Jesus, right? Grace and peace. They understood that their story came out of grace. They understood, I'm saved by grace, and this brings me peace with God. Nothing can touch me. And they responded in obedience. So they had a shared story. Um, just to throw this out here, Acts thirteen twenty-two. Counting the Old Testament, um, he says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. What does that mean? Oh, he explains it. Who will do all of my will. Oh, I thought it just means you loved God. It does. And the evidence is that we do as well, right? So your obedient trust in the invisible God makes God visible to others. Paul saw it, and he worshiped God. So they had a shared story. That's important to us here. Secondly, very practical, they shared resources. They got real practical, shared resources. They partnered materially. Listen to what Paul says to the Corinthian church about the Philippian church. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Philippi is one of those. He brags on them. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord. In other words, we didn't have to ask them. And it says, begging us to give. The Philippian church was begging Paul, take money from us to the church in Jerusalem. You see that in Acts 24. We want to be a part of it because there was a famine and there was persecution, there was trouble. So they shared the resources. And here's a big one. Man, they showed up. They shared space. This is not popular in the Christian church. We love the benefits of community. We just don't want to pay the cost of it. I don't want to sit in a room with people I don't like. I don't want to sit in a room with people that don't understand me. Well, you're going to have to if you want to have partnership in Christ. Um, Listen to how they did it. Epaphroditus was sent personally from Philippi to deliver Paul a financial gift in Rome, probably. Now, bodily presence And Epaphroditus almost died up there. He got sick. Um, They ministered in body. If you're drawn into Christ, you'll be drawn towards people. Period. There's very little partnering with God, partnering with the gospel that doesn't involve other people. In fact, I can't think of any way. Even if you're just giving, you're giving to a church that's made up of people. Even if you're just serving, you're serving people you're serving people partner with God's good work Um, this is the story of Jesus guys this is not an add on to the gospel this is vividly how Jesus lived the worst day of his life on this earth the one that made no sense to him at all even though he signed up for it And he did it out of love. And he understood what he was doing as God the Son. This day, this death, this resurrection absolutely guarantees your story ends in glory. Do you believe that? If you do, if you do, you'll give your life to him. If you do, you'll submit to him. If you'll do You'll put him on portrait mode. Everything else will swim to the periphery as you give him your life and you submit. And you'll trust that his love for you is not dependent on your behavior. And he will give you what you need to walk the road you're on and wherever he calls you. Quit being afraid of everything. Jesus pays real wrath for real sin, your real sin, resurrects. This is your future. So if you're going to learn to live your story in Christ, you must understand, focus, be convinced of, and learn to partner with God's good work in your life. So I'm going to ask you to do two things as we close. Karl Barth, Swiss theologian, brilliant person. I love one of the things he said so much. He said, joy is the simplest act gratitude, right? When I have joy from what somebody's given me, that's gratitude. Let's turn it. Gratitude is the instrument of joy, isn't it? So do this. Today, celebrate gospel progress. I want you to thank God for someone, both privately and publicly. Do it. Now it's Mother's Day, right? This is a softball. Like, you know what? I don't even like my mom. And there's reasons. As Pastor Reeves said, she gave you life. Thank God for someone. Write it down. And encourage someone. And this can be hard for some of you guys. Encourage someone, both privately and publicly. Do it today. Do it today. Can you can you actually worship God by encouraging someone? Picking out God's work in their life in choosing to worship because of it and encouraging them through that. Okay, this kind of sounds weird. I never do this, but close your eyes. I'm going to read to you how your story ends because you need to see it. You need to hear it. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city The new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Dear Heavenly Father, thank us to hang on to these words. Every story that is wrapped up in you Ends here. Every story that surrenders to you sees you drag heaven down to earth. Let that be our story. In the name of Jesus, amen.